The scripture reading uh, chosen this morning is from the book of Judges. It's Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. If you're using one of the black pew Bibles, it's number it's uh, page number 216. Judges uh, 17 verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Do you ever find yourself wondering as you look at events in this old world, have people just lost their minds? Have people just lost their minds? And sometimes you get the impression when you're around someone, that person's crazy. That person's crazy. And I realize that we live in a world that to many, that smacks of intolerance. But there are times the Word of God refers to people as fools. Have people lost their minds? Have people gone crazy? Open your Bibles to the book of Judges. Judges would not by any stretch of the imagination be the good old days of God's people. It is far more like the dark ages than the good old days. Because Israel is in a mess. God has promised them the land of Canaan. They've not complied with the will of God in obtaining the land. The people are a mess. You'll get the impression that they're out of their minds. Open your Bibles to Judges 17 and 18. Because in Judges 17 and 18, and then in chapters 19 through 21, two events are mentioned that just ought to leave readers scratching their heads because of the craziness of it all, the mindlessness of it all. In Judges chapters 17 and 18, the people are a religious mess. They think that the true and living God that had brought them out of Egyptian bondage, brought them to this land, told them that it could be theirs if they would keep God first in their life. Well, 17 and 18, they're a religious mess because the people as a whole seem to think that they can take God plus idols and all types of things. And it's quite all right with God. Have they lost their minds? They're a religious mess. God plus some other God. God plus stuff. When you get to Judges chapters 19 through 21, they're a moral mess. They can kill one another. They can murder and mistreat one another. That's what 
Judges 19 through 21 are all about. Well, I'll tell you what. If people are religious and moral mess, it is not inaccurate to say they must have lost their minds. Especially when God had been so very good to them. So gracious. So merciful. So awesome. You know, a lot of times when people study a book, they'll see a key verse, and understandably so. Judges 17, 6. There was no king in those days, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's repeated in Judges 21, 25. There was no king in those days. It's repeated in Judges 18, 1 and 19, 1 in many translations. There is some basis for saying that we live in a world today where many people have had their minds blinded to the gospel of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Now what I want to do this morning is to look at two considerations relative to this statement. When the world seems to be going crazy. When the world seems to be going crazy. Two considerations. You know, sometimes when you think that people in the world are going crazy... There are people that are pointing the finger at you and think that you're going crazy if you're trying to live for Jesus. That may well be something that we have to deal with in an increasing way in years to come. Consideration number one. When the world is going really crazy, consider the crazy cast of characters. Consider the crazy cast of characters. Looking here in Judges chapter 17 and 18, you have a character, first of all, by the name of Micah. Micah's name means who is like the Lord. Well, nobody. And for sure, for sure, nobody in his family is very much like God, even though he bears that name. And it's very easy for this person who is from Israel, is an Israelite from the area around Ephraim to mix and match his gods as it pleases him. To take the incomparable God and join him with idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 1 John 5, 21. So you've got Micah, more about him momentarily, but looking at the first six verses of Judges chapter 17, you have two people mentioned, Micah and Micah's mom. She had 1,100 pieces of silver stolen from her. And she pronounces a curse on the one who did it. 
May God do something to this individual. And she does it within earshot of her own son, Micah. And you get the idea, Thomas, that she has her suspicions that her own son may have taken the 1,100 pieces of silver. And while nothing else seems to move Micah, the threat of a divine curse being on him causes him to say, Mama, I took your 1,100 pieces of silver. And I'm going to give it back like a good boy should. Will you please remove the curse? The mama says, I was going to take this silver and dedicate it to the Lord. And she proceeds to give him 200 pieces of silver To go and make idols with. Is anything crazy about this? Is anything just dysfunction? Does this family put the fun and dysfunction to you? It's, It's crazy. And here's what, if you really are going to look at things very closely, in five verses, Brother Bill... Micah or his mom violate over half of the Ten Commandments. In five verses. It is in this context, ladies and gentlemen, you've got, uh, you've got Judges 17 and verse 6. There was no king in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We're not done. Before we get to verse 6, Micah has established a shrine in his home. And he has ordained one of his sons as a priest. In other words, he's got his own home church thing going. And he's appointed his son to be the priest for the church of Micah and his family. That's what we've got going on here. No wonder why I could say over half of the Ten Commandments are broken in five verses. Crazy! But the plot thickens. So you've got two of the characters, Micah and his mother. It's confusing. It's chaotic. It's almost humorous in a bizarre type of way. Now you get to verses 7 through 13. A Levite comes along. A Levite. A Levite from Bethlehem, Judah. A Levite. And all of a sudden, Micah starts thinking, this must be my lucky day. A genuine Levite has come along. Because that's the priestly tribe. And I guess his son that he'd ordained priest, you don't get into all this because he's not even named. Micah's mama's name is not even given us. 
But Micah says, won't you be a priest and a father to me and my family? And when you look at verse 7, how is this Levite from Bethlehem, Judah, described? He's described as being a young man. See that? When you don't have the wisdom of experience and those individuals are in positions of leadership, you may well be asking for trouble. And here is the irony of it all. And it's it's again, it's funny. You come, young man, and be the father. You be a father and a priest to my family here. And then the text says, they treated him like one of their sons. Now, I think that that's meant they, that they treated him well, but if you're the son that had been the priest that had just gotten out of a job because somebody better came along, maybe you have a problem. But the whole idea is this. God and His will are constantly forsaken, neglected, and at worst, the people in this section of Scripture could care less. I could care less. But now we do have a Levite. He's like a rabbit's foot. He's like a four-leaf clover, Cody. He's like a four-leaf clover. He's our ace in the hole. We got somebody from the right tribe, and he is a priest for this house. All we have to do is give him ten pieces of silver a year, room and board, and a new set of clothes every year. Not only was he willing to come, and you know what? There were 48 priestly cities. 48! Joshua chapter 21. There's 48 of those cities. Why is this priest sojourning out in an area where there's so little regard for God? And he has every opportunity to say something about the gods, the idols, the household gods that have been made. You know, the woman holds back part, the mama holds back part of the amount. Ron, I tell you what, you've got Ananias and Sapphira in Micah's mama. Look at Acts 5, 1 through 11 when you look at this section. But it's so distorted, so convoluted, so crazy. You have a person who is from the Levitical tribe and from a city, an area many of us associate with the Lord Himself, Bethlehem, Judah. And this is what He does and He seems to have no qualms or problems with it. Yes, I'll be the family priest. These household gods are perfectly all right. I want you to know 
that it's good for you to mark every time you see idolatry mentioned. Graven images, molten images, the ephah, etc. If you mark that, it is mentioned more than God, Yahweh, in this section. And here's something else that is really interesting. The narrator never refers to God. The references to God are made by all the people whose mindset you have to question. The writer just lets everything play out. But you know where he stands. Now we get to chapter 18. In Judges chapter 18, five Danite spies come to Micah's house. The tribe of Dan, they'd been having a world of hurt put on them if you look at Judges very closely because of the Amorites and the Philistines, some of the peoples in the area that was to be their area, their land, their allotment. And what's happening is they're getting spanked. They're being defeated in battle after battle because they're really not honoring the Lord and they're going about God's business in at least a half-hearted way and that's being gracious. When you get to this portion of Scripture, you see sarcasm and irony because some of the same terms are used for the spies who came to the house of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. You see some of the same language used that's used in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 when you have the spies return and you have the favorable report of Joshua and Caleb and you have the unfavorable report of ten guys most people don't even remember. But you're going to see those overtones in this section of Scripture. And it's parodying it in a sarcastic way. These five spies end up at the house of Micah. And they look and they see that Micah has him a Levite as a priest. And it's kind of natural. And I can't think of how often this has happened to me as a preacher. Cody, it'll happen to you a million and one times. Somebody finds out that you're a preacher, so they've got a religious question concerning their life that they want to ask you about. Well, we're on our way to Laish. We're looking for a new home because we haven't really done what God wanted us to in the first place. Well, they leave that part out. Will we have success? And you know what this Levite tells them in these verses? You can read it. You will. What a cast of crazy characters. He's saying you're going to have success. You are going to be blessed by the Lord. How many people who have no regard whatsoever for the will of God are looking for the blessing of the Lord? 
Notice how the chapter ends in chapter 17. I got me a Levite to be a priest. I know the Lord's going to bless me now. And then this priest tells the five spies, you're going to have success. So they run back to headquarters, the five spies do. Having talked to the priest and observed something of the lay of the land around Micah's house, and they say, we can take the land. We've seen it. We've been given a Levitical blessing to go and take it. And so you keep looking at Judges 18 with me. 600 Danites, along with their families, you could have had 2,500, 3,000. If you're the Marshals or the Mayfields, it could have been 5,000. But 600 fighting men with their families show up just outside one day the doorstep of Micah's house. And the five spies and others go to the house. And here is what is said. Here's the conversation. When we were here before, we saw the graven images. We saw all the molten images. We want those household gods. Because they were made out of silver. Costly. And not only that, we want you to come along with us, Mr. Levitical Priest. Micah must have been gone at the time. Bible doesn't say a whole lot about this. You know, here you think that the Levitical priest would say, after you came here and I gave you words of encouragement and treated you well, you are returning my kindness and the hospitality of the person who's taking care of us this way, this manner. Uh-uh. The people say to him on that occasion... You'd be wise to consider this a ministry opportunity. Don't you open your mouth and tell us anything that we don't want to hear. You are just the priest for a family, but we will make you a priest for the whole tribe of Dan. You talk about a ministry opportunity. From just a a family minister, a priest for a family, to a whole clan, a whole tribe. And so maybe the Levitical priest starts to think, you know, this is an open door. Have you ever noticed how often people who have no use for God can get into using religious language? An open door, a blessing from the Lord. And so he goes with them. Keep reading Judges 18 with me. And now we're especially to verses 14 through 20. 
and 21 through 24. And by the way, 24 has got to be one of the craziest statements ever made. Look at verse 24. You have taken the God, the gods which my hands have made. You have taken the gods which my hands have made and the priests. Isn't that crazy? Well, they're not much gods if they could be taken and stolen by force by somebody else. And you've taken my... And I, have, I don't have anything. That's what Micah says. But the statement reflects the foolishness of the whole circumstance. Where people think they can do whatever they want religiously and do whatever they want morally and think that it will have no repercussions on the relationship with God or backlash in the relationships with one another. It's crazy. But here's what Micah does. For those of you that like the old cowboy movies, they're in hot pursuit. You know, get, let's get us a posse together. And so Micah gets him a posse and he heads off after the Danite army. Now remember that it's 600 men strong. And I still get, you know, just the, uh, the would-be comic in me. Onward, Danite soldiers marching as... You didn't leave that one. To war... They are going to march into war against a group of people who are peaceful and secure and who live about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee called Laish and they are going to annihilate those people brutally in a bloodthirsty manner for no other reason than they want what they've got. That's what they're going to do. So I wonder the wisdom of Micah chasing after 600 Danites who are bound and determined, and he says to them, I want my household gods back. I want the ephod, and I want these things back. And you know what they do? Look at the text, Jeff. It says, don't you say another word. You best keep your mouth shut and turn around and go home because you don't want us angry with you. We'll take what you have. And we won't even say thank you. But we're going to spare your sorry life provided you don't get too mouthy with us. And if you do... You're in for a world of hurt. You get the message? And they are the kind of people, you know, for you folks that uh, have grown up watching the Marvel movies and Marvel comics, the Incredible Hulk, you won't like us if we get angry with you. You won't like it if we get angry. Because we'll tear you up. And though he's mad, what can Micah do but turn around and go back? Because they've got the odds in their favor. Now here's what happens. Look at the last few verses 
of Judges 18. They go to Laish, the Danites do. They slaughter a peaceful, secure people that was bothering no one. And they take their land and their belongings because of their selfishness and greed. And they take one of the idols from Micah's house and they erect a big idol to be worshipped at Dan, the northern part of the kingdom, Laish. Now do not miss this. Because the identity of the Levite is finally revealed. I suspect most of you have never heard a sermon on Judges 17 and 18. As a matter of fact, I would say 98% of the people here have never heard a sermon on that. Maybe you have. You have. You're the exception. Don't be proud because that sounds too much like Judges 17 and 18 and what's going on that God's not looking too highly on. The identity of the Levite, he's named. He's one of two people named in the section. Micah. Micah, who's like the Lord. Well, nobody's acting very much like the Lord in Judges 17 and 18. Especially the one that bears the name Micah. And Jonathan. Jonathan is the name of the priest. And this has to do with remembering the gifts of the Lord. Jonathan means the gift of the Lord. But that's not where we have to stop. Because this priest that leads Dan in full-fledged sin and before that Micah in his house... is the grandson of Moses. He is a descendant of Moses. I bet that most of you didn't know that Moses had a grandchild that was an apostate. He has a descendant few generations removed from Moses himself that is instrumental in leading Dan into greater idolatry, into the slaughter of a group of people in a town for no reason other than you want what they've got. Now the second main point, and I'll go through this quickly. If the first one was considered the crazy cast of characters... The second consideration is this. Consider the craziness of perverted worship. Consider the craziness of perverted worship. The antidote to perverted worship is stated in the text. But people don't want to be inoculated against perverted worship. 
Judges 17, 6. No king in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Well, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. To do what is right in our own eyes indicates that we are the standard and not God. And the people here were royally messed up. Judges 18.1 as well as 17.6. There was no king in those days. I understand that what the writer was saying. Had there been a David, had there been a Hezekiah, they'd have done something about the atrocities that are going on. The prostituted worship. The idolatry. The lack of regard for human life. They'd have done something about it. But I say to you, there was a king in those days. Israel's king was God. And they paid lip service. But they didn't pay life service. The antidote to all of the evils would have been an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God, that He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation 17, uh, verse 14, Revelation 19, 16, 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, the blessed and only potentate. Now notice this. The craziness of distorted worship. The craziness of distorted worship in this passage, well, it's easy for us to kind of look back and really be judgmental and say, well, we don't carry around household gods and idols and ephods with us and and act in any way like like they're God. Let me ask you this. What stuff tends to run a close second to God in your life and vie for a position that only belongs to God? See, the problem is not merely idolatry in Judges 17 and 18. It's syncretism. It is where you take God plus something else. And as long as you've got that something else, God really doesn't have the position He wants to have in our lives. Two masters, Matthew 6, 24. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19-21. Here's something else to consider about the craziness of distorted, perverted worship. It's about conforming to externals. Conforming to externals. Oh, I came to worship today. A number of the externals, we sang a cappella, the supper was observed, the word of God was proclaimed. I put some money in the plate, 
it is possible to have a form of godliness, but to deny the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3, 5. And Judges 17 and 18 reek of emphasizing the externals to the absolute neglect of a real relationship with God. They reek. You've got Micah who thinks he can avoid a curse. I'll give the money back. You've got Micah's mama who thinks that she can hold back to God what she promised God. And then she allows things to be used to make an idol with money she just gotten back. She wants it used that way. You've got someone from Bethlehem, Judah, who's a Levite, who is out for the highest bidder. I'm always looking for a better deal. For another ministry opportunity. Everybody in this passage is looking for themselves and for an easy way. The chapter ends in chapter 17 with him believing that God is going to bless him. Micah believing that because he has the right tribe represented with his priest. God will surely bless me. Don't tell me that there are not people who think that religion is primarily about externals while obedience to the truth of God is required and is a non-negotiable. That truth and compliance there too, obedience to God's will must be done from the heart because of how great and awesome God is. They missed it in this chapter. Many people miss it today. And listen to me, church, not a few Christians can get caught up in these things. That brings me to a third aspect here. Whatever pleases me will pass for the will of God. God plus idols. God plus a priest that's out for the highest and best offer. God plus murdering innocence. And God has no part of any of the above. I wonder how many people worship somewhere because it pleases them. It's in their comfort zone. I like his preaching because it's in my my comfort zone. I like what they do there. It's in my comfort zone. It pleases me. What pleases us ultimately should be what pleases the Lord. Amen? And those two are not always interchangeable. What pleases God should be what pleases me. And really what pleases me should be what is according to the will of God. Now that brings me to a final point here. Think about this. The most esteemed man in all of Israel's history, Moses, 
has a descendant, a grandchild, that, you know, you know who really won these battles? No. God gave the people the opportunity to win the war, but I'll tell you who won the war. The Canaanites did. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, they have Canaanite thinking and Canaanite practices running through their blood just like the Canaanites did when they first got there. So when Canaan took the promised land... Because God's people would not honor what God said. Open your Bibles as we close to Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. This is serious. While there's been humor in it, in a tragedy, though, we're dealing with the tragedy of a people who would not love and serve God when He had been so good to them. Notice Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And let it speak to all of us, lest we be Micah, Micah's mama, the Levitical priest, or the Danites. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, whereby we may offer service to God with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. God will not tolerate distorted worship and immoral living and religious thinking that does not give him preeminent place. I believe the United States needs that message. I believe churches of Christ need that message. I believe I need that message. If you're not a Christian through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Jesus this very hour. Have your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. God has promised that He will forgive the sins of those who believe in Christ, turning from their sins, and who confess that He's God's Son. For those of us who are Christians, having come to Him in baptism, let's not allow our minds to be clouded by the deceitfulness of the devil. He's been at it for a while. And if the devil could use someone like Peter... The devil can use somebody like us to speak and to act in a way that we ought not. Be careful that none of us give him that privilege. Let us stand and sing.